Without any further ado, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 8, verse 1. As we're going to look at a very, very great passage of Scripture here. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading and study of your word, Lord. We commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 8, verse 1. This is the second book in the New Testament. So you start at Matthew, move over to Mark. And then chapter 8 comes after 1 through 7. Just kidding. And Mark 8, verse 1. It says, In those days, the multitudes being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. Now, when you're reading this, now for some of you, you've heard of the feeding of the 5,000. This is actually the feeding of the 4,000. Previously, Jesus had called his disciples to him. Uh, now he does it again. And I can only imagine the look on the disciples' faces when Jesus says, Hey guys, come over here. Like, uh-oh, what is about to happen? You might ask, well, why do you think that? Well, let me explain why. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes the Lord allows us to be in a situation that really stretches our faith. I don't know if you ever had those toys when you were a kid. Stretch Armstrong. You know, the guy that just kept going. Sometimes that's the way it's like with us in our faith. It tests our character. And then not only will we go through that particular situation, but we'll be revisited it. Be revisited by it again. It'll come back again and maybe again. And this morning's text, this is one of those types of scenarios. For remember back in Mark chapter 6, when there was a large crowd that needed food. This is the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6. In verse 34, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread and they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them in Mark 6 verse 37, you give them something to eat. Have you ever been in a situation where you have felt like you were way in over your head? Like, think about it. Have you ever felt like I'm up to here? I am way, 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 way in over my head. Maybe, maybe for some of you guys here that might be single, you're dating this girl and you feel like, man, I am way out of my league here. I'm way out of my league. I mean, she's beautiful. (laughs) She loves Jesus. She's a millionaire, doctor. And she likes Lord of the Rings too, on top of it. You know, and apparently she likes me, you know, and I guess it's yet to be determined if there's actually something really wrong with her or not. But you feel maybe over my head. How about financially? The mortgage for your house or sending your kids to college or, I mean, quite frankly, even private schools these days, you know? Over your head financially. Credit card debt. Maybe you're overwhelmed at school or work. Man, this class is over my head. You know, this job is too demanding and What they're telling me to do is impossible. I mean, who can even do this kind of thing? Maybe physically, battling an illness or a handicap where you're hindered or incapacitated in some manner. Maybe you have an addiction, your drugs, alcohol, or something else. Or maybe you're even watching this online, or maybe you're here in person today and you're coming off God telling you to do something that you feel is absolutely beyond your ability. Remember, 
There's thousands of people that need food and they're in a deserted place and Jesus tells his disciples, you give him something to eat. You're like, what? How am I supposed to do that? You're feeling way over your head because it's beyond your own ability. Jesus asked his disciples to do something that was exactly that, beyond their ability to do so. This is crazy. I can't do this. This is impossible for any person to do. How am I supposed to push through this? Maybe you're feeling exactly that today. This is beyond me. How can God be calling me to do something that I I just don't see it? It's crazy. It's impossible for any person to do. And then I would stop you right there. Say, yeah, you said it. It's absolutely true. It is impossible for you to do in your own abilities. Jesus knew it was impossible for the disciples to feed the multitudes, the 5,000 that would eat in Mark 6, but nonetheless, he still said, you give them something to eat. Jesus commanded, Jesus called his disciples to do something that was impossible for them to do, dot, 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 without him. Without him. Jesus called his disciples, the Lord calls us as his disciples, his followers, to do things that are impossible for us to do without him. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5 it says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So many times we find ourselves, even as Christians, saying, Yes, Lord, I know that you've done it before, but I don't know if you're going to be able to come through again for me. Remember? He fed the 5,000, but now there's 4,000. Lord, I know you did this crazy thing at this point, but are you going to be able to do it again? And we'll see in Mark 8 how the disciples are revisited by a very familiar yet formidable situation. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they'll faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. Jesus, the shepherd, had compassion on his people. He saw them as a sheep, as sheep without a shepherd, somebody that truly cared for them. I mean, for most of us, we're like, hey man, you've been following me for three days, go take care of yourself. You're a grown man, you're a grown woman, you're capable, go deal with it. And he's like, man, if I send them away, they're going to pass out from hunger. I'd be like, hey, that's on them, they should have prepared. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's not the way Jesus is. He was moved with compassion, which really means having a deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. But not only that, it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering compassion in this day and age compassion isn't something that we see very often you know as Richard and Carol were were sharing you know it's not something you'd see associated with uh, living in the Bronx I don't think I don't think you would see that very often in the world that we live in today but especially not in the context of what we're reading you're not going to find the compassion from the Roman government even the people's own religious leaders saw the people as to be used for their own gain But Jesus not only had compassion, but he had compassion for the multitude which was comprised of just, might I add, normal people. 
Jesus is not like some people today that are selective in the type of people that they're willing to help. Having ulterior, selfish motives for helping people. Like, you know, I really have compassion for the beautiful people. You know, I just need to be around them. You know, I need to minister to those kind of people. It must be really hard for them, you know? I really feel for the celebrities. You know, those people that are like in the who's who. Like, I need to minister to those people. The famous, the powerful, the wealthy. I mean, that, that seems kind of where I would really fit in. These are the people that minister or seek to associate themselves with particular individuals whom they seek to profit off of. Jesus was concerned with the people that had nothing to give him. He had no ulterior motives. He was moved with compassion. He was sorrowful over their state and he had a desire to fix it. In 1 Peter 5 verse 7 it says, Cast all your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. He cares for you. This has ministered to me so much in dealing with the struggles and the challenges of life where I'm like, the Lord actually cares about me and He is concerned with the areas of need that I have. In Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus said, For your Father knows the things. Your Heavenly Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In Mark 8, verse 4, Then His disciples answered Him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? It wasn't like, hey, let's run over to Ralph's real quick and we'll pick up some loaves of bread and some sandwich meat. You know, let's this they were in the wilderness. There's no Costco's, nothing. They how am I supposed to get food? What's going on here? The word wilderness in the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, from what we're reading. Uh, this morning literally means an uninhabited region or a wasteland, a place where no one lived and it was a wasteland. The world that we live in is a wasteland when it comes to satisfaction. You might think, well, how so? It doesn't look pretty deserted or waste-like to me. Well, look at all the lights and look at all the things that the world says, this will make you fulfilled, this will make you content, and how it never does. That's the reality. The world that we live in with all the bells and whistles and bright shiny lights and all the attractions and things we can do and experience are temporal at best. So how can Jesus satisfy people's hunger when there's nothing the world can satisfy them with? Even this morning, how can Jesus satisfy the hunger that is deeper than a physical hunger that's in your soul that's crying out for more when nothing that you try to fit in that void that the world has to offer will do the job? Are you here this morning dissatisfied with what the world's been feeding you? See, we as human beings, we're very interesting. We feed on things that bring us some sort of fulfillment, But those things are temporal at best. Like, I thought I'd be satisfied if I got that job. Or if I owned my own business. Or if I dated or married that particular person. Or if I finally owned a home. Or if I had that boat. Or drove that car. Or wore those clothes. Or ate at that particular exclusive five-star, six-star restaurant. If I stayed at the main resorts. I had enough drugs or went to enough parties or had enough popularity or, you know, went on the most cruises or whatever it might be. We think this will make me feel fulfilled. And don't get me wrong. There's certain things we experience in this life that we have fond memories, things that are enjoyable and pleasurable. But the fulfillment doesn't last. There has to be something more. 
I'm on to the next thing now, man. That's so outdated. That's so old school. It's like, hey, man, I'm so 3,008 and you're so 2,000 and late, like Fergie Ferg said sometime back. So we'll work and we'll strive and we will just seek to obtain these things, something that we hope to derive some level of fulfillment or satisfaction from, pleasure from. Though ultimately... Eventually, unfortunately, it leaves us hungry for something more. Hungry for something more. That's why Jesus said in John 6, verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Don't strive for the things that don't last. Because as I mentioned, there is a hunger that's deeper than your stomach. I know that might be hard for some of you to uh, imagine because it's the the fleshly appetites. Some of you are already thinking, should I get a number one or a number two at lunch today? And those of you that laughed are thinking that. In and out. I didn't have to tell you. See, there's a hunger in your soul that nothing can fill. I was talking to... uh, uh, Austin, he works at In-N-Out. Uh, he's uh, part of Richard and Carol's uh, extended family, I guess you can say. And good guy, serves here. And uh, his girlfriend, Alicia, serves here as well. And we were talking about In-N-Out yes, uh, on Friday. And like, hey, how big can they stack them now? And, you know, they don't do more than four by fours now. And they used to do like these 12 by 12s or whatever they might be. But food makes you hungry again. You eat it. And then you come up the next day. I'm hungry. And nobody in their right mind says, why are you hungry? You just ate yesterday, man. I was hungry. I ate, filled me up, and I'm hungry again. This is the way the world is in everything. I'm hungry. I try something, fills me up for a moment, and then I'm looking for something more. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What is he saying? You will never be hungry again for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. No, he's not speaking of the physical. He's speaking of the spiritual. You come to Jesus and you will have satisfaction in your spirit. You will have contentment, you will have peace, you will have fulfillment. This is what we were talking about this morning. To have something that is deeper than the physical. Not only forgiveness of sins and knowing that when I die I go to heaven. Not only victory over sin, which means I can be free from addictions and bondages. I can be free and changed from old ways of life. I find that I can be fulfilled in the innermost recesses of who I am. In verse 5, Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven, verse six. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude, verse seven, Mark eight. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said to them also, or excuse me, he set them also before them. And so they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments now basket in acts 9 25 we studied this in the book of acts but the basket in acts 9 25 was a basket that was large enough to fit a person in 
In Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000, it says they, kept, they, they, they brought baskets left over. That was a satchel. We're looking at a basket large enough to put a person in. They had left over, seven of them. In verse 9, it says, Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. So here was this multitude of people that were following Jesus, as he said, for three days. And they were a prime example of the promise of God in effect. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 30, Please be encouraged by this today, because this really spoke to me. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, or the world seeks after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. This is what it's all about. You know what the Lord spoke to me about in Matthew 6.30 through 33 that we read there? Was this phrase. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. You know, sometimes you can think, well, the pastor's got to be perfect in every way. Oh, like the Lord, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I happen to be a minister. And the Lord spoke to me. He's like, I clothe the grass of the field. I'm going to take care of your clothes. I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to take care of everything that you're in need of because I know what you need before you even ask for it. And if I take care of these things that, you know, the grass grows up and there you are with your lawnmower, it gets chopped down and you throw it in the trash, I take care of the grass, how much more am I going to take care of you, oh, you of little faith? And that might be specifically for some of you this morning, that the Lord is going to take care of you. He says here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. You seek the Lord first. You keep Him as the number one priority in your life, above everything. And you will find that the Lord will take care of the peripherals, the little details and the big details, the big things. He'll take care of that. He'll supply your needs. So the Lord will take the little that we have, the loaves, the fish. He'll take the little that we are incapable of doing what is asked of us, And he'll use it because we're connected to him. Because it is impossible for us to do those things without him. And so if you've been without Jesus for a long time, a short time, I'm going to invite you, come back to him today. Put your faith in him. Recommit your life if you walked away from the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, know how much He loves you and He'll, desi- and he'll fill the desires that you have in your heart because you might think, man, church is crazy. Christians are nuts. Look at this guy up here. What in the world? Listen, you can't argue against the proof. You can't argue against it. The people's lives that are changed, the peace and contentment that comes from following Jesus cannot be replaced. So don't accept any substitutes so if we had two main things we'd be looking at this morning it would be trust in the lord know that the little that you have to offer is more than enough when it's connected with jesus power and with his strength and with his purpose 
for what is going to be accomplished in your life in the future. And then secondly, may the Lord help us have more than a mustard seed. Well, listen, Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, hey, move, and it will be thrown into the sea. A mustard seed, you know how tiny that is? Man, we would need like an atomic microscope to see our faith sometimes. And so, may the Lord cultivate our faith that we trust in the Lord to provide for us so that we seek Him first and that all these other things will be added unto us. So, go all in when you're following the Lord. He'll ask you to do something that's beyond you. That's a good sign because He wants to do something great. Don't you want to live a life of greatness? Doing things that are, that are beyond the normal? Don't you want to do something that when you leave this world, you say, I did something that lasted. I did something that mattered. I did something that counted. Because we can go about our business and have our home and our white picket fence and our car and our driveway, our 2.38 kids or whatever it might be, the national average, and then we'll, we'll live our life and then we die and then what's left? 